One Week Season. WS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes. Hilo here with the fourth installment of our theory, game theory in best ball. We've got a great episode today. We're going to talk about a lot of the correlation and the um, similarities between some of the DFS theories that we've uh, preached over the last few years and how to transfer that into best ball. The value and uniqueness or being unique. Some roster constructions, I guess we'll call it general roster construction errors that we've, uh, my guest and I have seen um, across, you know, the multiple hundreds of drafts that we've done already. Um, this idea of betting on undervalued teams, um, and typically that goes into another topic that we're going to cover as well with recency bias. Uh, and then we'll finish it off with reading the room. That said, we're going to jump right in. You've seen him around OWS. He is a primary contributor. First time having him on uh, this podcast series. He jumped on the Saturday pod once last year, and that is my good dude, Mike Johnson. How are we doing, man? Hey, hello. I'm doing doing great. Excited to be here. Uh, had a lot of fun listening to your first three episodes of this, so uh, I have a lot of um, big shoes to fill from from the previous guests and uh, <laughs> certainly hoping that the microphone uh, holds up better than it did in December when I jumped on with you next. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a journey, man. But uh, that's the I guess one of the the downsides of doing a live show is sometimes you gotta you gotta fight through those uh, technical difficulties. But uh, you know, you sound great now. Um, excited to jump into this. So we're gonna jump right in, man. Um, the right. First topic I want to talk about is um, this idea, and actually, this is this is something that uh, you you brought to my attention um, in, in you know in. Mike and Zandamir and JM and Aaron and I, we all, we all talk obviously throughout the off season. And, and in one of those talks, um, this idea of not seeing much DFS theory outside of like week 17 correlation, not seeing a lot of it brought over into the best ball realm. So with that said, I'm going to hand over kind of the reins to you here because I know you have a lot to say on the subject and we're just going to dive right in, man. So talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing in best ball drafts about like kind of the lack of this DFS theory exploration in best ball. Yeah. So, I mean, basically what I see in this, this kind of came organically to me just through doing the drafts and how I think about things. Um, it's very similar to DFS, how we talk about roster construction all the time. And we want to, uh, at OWS, we make a big deal about, you know, your roster should kind of tell a story, understanding um, the bets you're making within the roster. You know, when you put a player on your roster, what you're saying by doing mm -hmm. that, what's your, expecting to happen and other things that if that thing is correct, that first thing is correct. What does that mean for other things? Um, and, you know, I think you see two extremes right now. Um, and especially in like the echo chamber, as we call it of uh, best ball stuff, mm -hmm. um, the content that's out there, there's 
the one side where everybody talks about just the players they like um, and which players are going to be great this year, which players to fade. Um, and that's all fun and good. And I mean, it has a place somewhere. Um, but then on the other side, you know, everybody and their brother wants to correlate the week 17 games and, you know, have these mega stacks and um, they're so focused on that. And I think that there's a lot in the middle that we're missing out on. Um, you know, so the basic idea, how I go through it is the same way that in a DFS week, if you were making a roster, you would want your roster to tell a story. I can, I try to, whenever I can build my rosters with that for best ball, with that same idea in mind. So um, the example on our call last week that I used was um, with the number one pick, there's a lot of debate, JT, Cooper Cup, do you running back or receiver? Um, which one is the better pick? Which one's more likely to repeat their monster 2021 season? Um, and so my kind of takeaway from a DFS theory in best ball is it doesn't necessarily really matter, but you need to understand which it doesn't matter which one you pick in theory, because both are great players in great situations. Both could repeat last year, but the bet you're making with whichever one you take um, to leverage that. So something I'd look to do is if I take Jonathan Taylor early, uh, then later on in the draft, I'll look to get um, some other Rams pieces you know, Cam Akers, maybe Daryl Henderson, uh, some secondary or ancillary uh, receivers from the Rams. Um, because the bet is, so, you know, it could go in a variety of ways. So Cup and JT, they could both have uh, a monster season. Okay, well, if they both have a monster season and it's kind of a wash, you the choice, you don't need to stress over the choice between Cup and JT then. Um, if they both have down seasons, again, it wouldn't have really mattered if that was who your choice was between. But then where you're going to see something that would really swing you is if JT has another monster season, but Cup gets hurt and misses 10 games or vice versa. So that in that scenario where it actually would matter which one you picked, um, leveraging that, finding a way to leverage that is, um, you know, that's kind of how I, I approach it. And I do it with, I know I was texting you the other day with screenshots from a draft I was doing. I did something similar um, with, uh, I had the fourth pick. So I had the choice between Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I went with Jefferson. So uh, then I, in the next round, um, I reached a little bit to take T Higgins, uh, as my second round pick with the thought being, well, if Jamar chase, if there's a clear difference, huge difference that Jefferson over chase was the right call, well then something happened to Jamar chase, you know? And so T Higgins becomes that much more valuable. So I, you know, jack him up the ranks. So in the second round that becomes a very good pick for me. Whereas uh, that might look like a reach to somebody, you know, looking from the outside. I actually then went with Tyreek Hill in the third round of that draft. And from that, my 
choices there were between, I was between him, AJ Brown or Javante Williams. So I went with Tyreek Hill because I had two receivers and I thought, okay, the smash week potential, it's my wide receiver three. Um, I actually also got Cam Akers in the next round of that draft as a, uh, in the fourth round, which kind of played off the cup thing as well, because if Jefferson is like the wide receiver one, well, maybe cup had a down year as well. Um, but with, uh, that second round pick with T Higgins or, uh, sorry, with the Tyreek Hill pick in the third, um, I look to leverage that later as well. So I took Tyreek Hill over AJ Brown and, um, and Javante Williams. So people, other people who maybe they have Jefferson and, uh, T Higgins on the roster, they might have that same, uh, that same choice and Javante and AJ Brown would be popular picks there. Well, so later on I made it a priority and I got Dallas Goddard to leverage off AJ Brown. I got Melvin Gordon to leverage off, uh, Javante, um, and so on. Uh, so that's kind of, um, you know, just some specific examples, but I think that the overwhelming thought is just to think of it, to think of the season as a whole as in the same light that we think of like at one DFS week is something that I really don't think anyone is doing. I think people are just thinking about their ranks um, on one side, or they're just thinking about uh, the week 17 DFS, um, like the stacking those specific games, which you have to survive three rounds just to get there. So um, yeah. No, yeah, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, dude. That, Sorry. No, that's that's awesome. And to relate that into like how do we teach that at OWS it um and and re- make that more digestible, I think is simply talking about the if then statements that we talk about during the season, right? Like if X happens, then it most benefits player Y, right? So like if right. if thens if uh, Jonathan Taylor gets hurt and misses part of the season, then we're likely to see the Colts pass more. Who does that benefit? Obviously, Michael Pittman, primary option A, uh, and then trickle-down effect from there. I really like that. And um, I kind of subconsciously uh, without, you know, because you brought this up and I realized that like I wasn't really thinking about it through the lens of if then statements, but I was doing it organically because I'm, uh, that's just how I think I've trained Mm -hmm. myself to think. And Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do here is to train listeners to think that way. For example, today I posted a a lineup that I drafted um, today on Twitter. And basically I got Amari Cooper uh, at pick 81. So like 15 spots past his ADP and in a vacuum, that was like totally fine. Just like take the value and move on, you know, as like a a seventh round pick Amari Cooper in the seventh. But then Mm -hmm. two rounds later in the ninth, I got Kareem hunt at pick one Oh five. Um, so that's about 12 picks past ADP. And then I was thinking, okay, so what if, Amari Cooper and Kareem Hunt outperform where I just drafted them, then like, what is the causal factor? The causal factor is likeliest to be Deshaun Watson 
has a minimal or zero suspension for this year. Right. So then I was like, right. immediately, like I have two Cleveland Browns on my team, um, that I both, I took both past ADP, like severely past ADP. What would make this lineup carry the most upside? Well, it would be Deshaun Watson, like not having a, a big suspension or getting time served plus paying back the money or, you know, one of the multitudes yeah. of, of possibilities that are still on the table that we don't know. And Deshaun Watson is sitting in the 19th or 18th uh, round on underdog now. So it was like, okay, now I know I'm just going to completely punt quarterback. I'm going to take, you know, a quarterback two as the first quarterback on this roster. And then I'll take Deshaun Watson because if this roster is going to hit ceiling, like it's likely going to be because of that. So that's one of those, like, um, like, like subconsciously, just because I've trained myself to, to think about it in that sense, but like doing it without <laughs> consciously doing it. But what we're trying to do here is like, that is an awesome, um, observation. You know, if the field is yeah. not, if the field is so focused on only bringing in like the DFS mentality of a single week's correlation and stacking, which is kind of where the field is at in best ball right now with week 17, like mm-hmm. what are, what are the other ways that we can generate leverage smartly without, making suboptimal plays, which we talk about, you know, a lot at OWS. Right. So I absolutely love that. Um, that is huge. That goes like when you're starting off on that journey, I would recommend like doing it with just like your first round decision point. Because again, if yeah. we pull, if we pull in like stuff we've talked about on this series before, if you think about your 18 rounds as this decision tree, this decision-making matrix, you know, that we've talked about before each subsequent decision point is a node on that tree and it branches out from there. You have your, your infinite possibilities that can branch out from each decision point. Well, if you think about like the start of that decision tree, which is, you know, the end is 18 rounds down the line. If the start of that decision tree is round one, and you're deciding on your round one pick for this specific roster, think about how that can affect, you know, round three, round four picks, um, and start planning that now, like as you're making your first, you know, as you're on deck or you're making your first round selection, that'll start ingraining this process. Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, training yourself to think about down the line in the decision tree. So I love that, man. That was awesome. Any other, like, any other thoughts pertaining to uh, transferring a little bit of this DFS theory that we know so well over to best ball? Um, I think I have a couple things, but I think we will probably cover them in some of the other topics that we're going to cover. I think I'll, it'll, it'll meld nicely into that. So um, I think that kind of sums up the overwhelming idea. And then I think as we go through some of these things, because basically that's, I mean, that's my approach to everything I'm going to talk about while I'm on here about best ball theory. Yeah. is very similar to how I approach DFS play. Um, so I think, I think that's, I think we can just go, go into the next thing and, and it'll come up organic. Okay, sweet, man. So the next thing, um, I want to talk about is this idea that there is inherent value in being unique. Um, whether that is, applying for a job, whether that is life skills there, there's just because (laughs) without diving too far into it, this goes into human psychology, right? And, um, one, 
humans have survived and thrived because it started with us being able to band together in packs and <laughs> follow, like be a, a herd mentality from there, obviously um, with new skills and new traits and new talents and stuff, you start to see this blend of, of uniqueness, but it, it is literally like ingrained in our core as human beings to be comfortable with the known and to be comfortable with um, what other people are doing. We'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, and if we see, we know like going into with the data that we have about a best ball draft, an 18 round best ball draft, we know that optimal roster construction is two quarterbacks, five running backs, eight wide receivers, and three tight ends. The data is there. We know that is the case. Why am I posting three running back rosters? Why am I posting 11 wide receiver rosters? Why am I doing stuff that the field just is not? Well, it's this idea that there is value in being unique. Um, we talk about this in DFS all the time, right? You know, if like, what do you win when you get something right? Well, if you are, if you, play, you know, a 50% running back. That's the ultra chalk because he's a backup coming in, in DFS and he smashes like, that's great. Like you probably need that. You held serve. <laughs> yeah. You need that to win. Right. But yeah. like that, that is not going to win you anything right on its own. So there's obviously value in not doing what the field is doing. So what ways, or I guess, what ideas are you seeing um, or ways to be unique that the field is not using in best ball right now? Well, so another thing, when I look at like value and being unique, I also look at the, well, you've talked about it on the previous pods, how we have so little data. Um, I mean, essentially, if you look at from my same thing I was saying before, where I look at each, I look at the NFL season the same way we would look at like a DFS week. Well, then we basically have like what two years of data. Two, it's like having two NFL weeks, and people are making like <laughs> overwhelming assertions on these are the exact ways to do things, and yeah. it's just crazy. Um, and I talk about this in DFS like weekly stuff. Is that so many people make such huge egregious errors in how they play DFS that like the amount of people you're actually competing against to win is a much smaller number than whatever your field size is. Um, and that could be different in like higher stakes stuff or whatever. But so like one thing I look to do is, um, and it, a lot of people would say it's suboptimal in best ball and like wasting roster spots. But sometimes I'll look to, uh, I will look to handcuff, um, which is something that, you know, people talk about, well, that could be, it's suboptimal from a lot of people's like mathematical standpoint. But the way I look at it is it has become so like taboo, especially among like most of the bigger content people right now and the stuff you see um, all over the place. That and it's not with every situation, but I look like a at a Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison. Like it's very, very reasonable. Like Dalvin Cook could give you, he could be like the RB one, you know, dominating the year 
for 14, 15 weeks and then goes down and like week 16, um, you know, Alexander, Alexander Madison week 16 and 17 is smashing because cook is out. Um, and I look at the top people, you know, the, the people who are maxing my, the greatest competition, you would say, you know, they won't have, they'll have most of their Madison teams. A lot of them won't get there because they won't have cook. Um, or if they had cook, they won't have Madison to beat me once they get to the playoffs. So that's, one way I look to get unique, just kind of looking for things like that. I guess, you know, there's other examples. Um, you know, one thing I did actually in a draft today, I took uh, Travis Kelsey in the first round and it got to my pick in the third round. Um, and Mahomes was there, but Josh Allen had fallen as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was on DraftKings. And I just stopped and I thought about it and I was like, you know what? Like, Everybody who has Kelsey, who picks Kelsey in the first round, not every, is going to be thinking about taking Mahomes uh, when it gets back to him. But how many people are going to have Kelsey with Josh Allen? And it's very feasible without Tyreek Hill. Kelsey could have, uh, you know, he could have a 1,400-yard, 15-touchdown season um, where he's like the tight end one. Maybe Andrews gets hurt, Pitt sucks, or Atlanta sucks, and Pitts has a down year, Kittle. Uh, struggles with Lance and all of a sudden Kelsey's like the, like this 50% advance rate player, but yeah. like nobody's going to have Josh Allen with him and Josh Allen could go for 40 every playoff week. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just those outlier scenarios and finding ways to like um, create those combinations that would be like that you can tell a story that makes sense, but, nobody's telling that story, I guess, is the, the way I would sum it up. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting thought. And when, you know, I'm of the mindset that, that I don't handcuff in best ball. And why is that? Why do, you know, the, the top thinkers, thought leaders in, in the industry currently, why do they say that? Well, it limits your roster's upside. Right. In the same sense or in the same vein, that is approaching things from the starting point of, or I guess from the end point, we'll say of optimal. Right. The issue with that is we don't need optimal to win these contests. How, how many millimaker DFS contests have there been with, you know, 420 to 480,000 entries? How many have we had over the last five seasons? There's been a lot of them, right? How many optimal lineups have we had on a full slate of games? Zero. There has not been an optimal lineup in the millimaker. So if that's the case, like that's the glaring example of like, hey, we don't necessarily need optimal. So there is merit to, in particular instances, like you're talking about, handcuffing um, to honestly now stray from the field and be unique. And like you said, it's very, it has to be very targeted because you have to almost get away from, and this is actually something that, um, I, I said today on Twitter as well. I don't know why I keep bringing up shit. I said on Twitter, it's so dumb. (laughs) Um, but it was, uh, (laughs) it was something to the effect of standalone value is a myth. And Mm -hmm. why I think 
another mistake that I think the field is making in this same idea of like, there's value in being unique is people are more comfortable taking a backup running back or a, you know, one B running back or a running back in a timeshare on the, on the lower end of the timeshare because they feel like there's still safety in that pick. Mm -hmm. Like this idea of standalone value, I think it doesn't take a, a lot of convincing for me to just be like, what does that bring to the table? And that, that gives you like a, a weekly floor of like, like look at probably the, the, the penultimate example of this idea of standalone value is probably Tony Pollard, right? He scored yeah. like 143 points, something like that in half PPR last season. Um, he put up over a thousand yards, uh, combined, um, rushing and receiving. He put up like 40 something receptions and he scored like 143 points. So if he is like this, like the ultimate example for the field of this idea of standalone value, like he played what 16 games last season and he ended with a mm-hmm. hundred 143 points in half PPR. So if you think about like what that gives you, like what safety does that give you? It gives you a safety of, you know, an expected floor, a per game expected floor of about eight to 10 points. Like that, if that is something that is more than capable of being made up for by roster construction and not having to rely on eight to 10 points to fill one of your very highly valuable roster spots. So like this idea of like, and this is something that I talked about on previous episodes as well. This, like the prototype, I called it the prototype of late running back, late round running back targets. I'm shifting my mindset to like just completely neglecting player names. And I'm targeting Mm -hmm. very specific teams where I know a second or a third running back on the depth chart can see like this borderline elite workhorse usage if things go their way. And so I like that idea of like of the handcuff to be unique in certain instances. And although like Dalvin and Madison is probably like, or not, not even probably it is like the best example of that because we know that like, or at least we can expect with, the new coaching scheme that Dalvin is is still going to be like one of the top three from expected usage um, on right. a weekly basis. So like we know that Madison is going to be very um, used very sparingly outside of a Dalvin injury, but that's kind of what we want in a handcuff and why Alexander Madison is like the best handcuff in the game. Cause we know, or we have a good idea of what we can expect should he come into games. And right. If- and, and you're, and when in those instances, like the rest of the running back core on my team and the rest of my roster is built, like expecting that, expecting that Madison's not contributing, you know? Yeah. So I've got two other guys in that, like Ramondre, Singletary, Penny, uh, Edmonds, like two guys in that range who are going to see the field. They're going to accumulate points. They've got huge upside too, but you know, I'm not relying on Madison many weeks where, you know, then he's going to get his three carries for 12 yards and one catch. Um, You know, it's, it's relative to, to what you have, you know, 
what else you've done with the roster. And obviously if you have Dalvin as well, um, you know, and one other thing that I wanted to uh, say with this uniqueness, um, something I've been doing a decent amount at the onesie position, specifically at quarterback and tight end Mm -hmm. is uh, when I take the two, well, specifically at tight end, occasionally at quarterback, um, so I look back at my, my results from last year and the leagues where I took, you know, first or second where I advanced, um, or third where I've just missed. And there was very few, relatively speaking. I mean, there was, so I, I maxed on the puppy and, um, and on the, Millie Baker on DraftKings. So it's a lot of drafts. So there was a decent number, but percentage wise, there was a small amount of drafts where it was within 10 or 15, 20 points, the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so one week isn't going to kill you. So a way to be unique is in use. I heard you say this on one of your pods about bye weeks and mm-hmm. not really mattering that much. So again, another unique way to have your quarterback if I'm having two quarterbacks or two tight ends, I'll actually sometimes purposely have them have the same bye week. And I'm just going to take that zero that one week. Um, But it's, I look at that. What, I mean, what are we looking at? Like a 18 point expect 18 to 20 point expected point loss um, in at the quarterback position and like an eight to 10 point loss at tight end. And that's worth it to me to be unique in the players I have at those positions if I make the playoffs. Because I look at it as, um, and I don't have the bye weeks in front of me, but if I have, let's say it was uh, Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins, and in week 14, one of them was like the had-to-have-it quarterback, had a monster game, and week 15, the other one, there'd be so few people in week 15 you look at the percentages and like if it was Rogers in week 14, then in your week 15 league, he might be 50% owned. Mm-hmm. And, and now all of a sudden you have this other quarterback who goes off that they aren't paired together very often. So it, it just you, makes you so unique from the other players where it seems suboptimal from a point standpoint, like, maximizing points but from the leverage that you create if you get into that situation it's worth it to me yeah i think uh week seven is a big one for this year and week 14 is another big one for Mm -hmm. targetable teams that have those buys um yeah i I like that a good deal actually uh i haven't i haven't purposely sought that out uh but that might that might change you might convince me here (laughs) (laughs) Uh, dig it, man. Anything, uh, anything else to throw at us, uh, in the value and uniqueness realm? Um, I think just an over, just an old, uh, a thought on the big picture of it all is we're talking a lot about, about a lot of different strategies and stuff and ways to be unique and, but you don't have to do all of them. Like I'm not, I'm not handcuffing and stacking my bye weeks and, doing this in every single draft. I just try to make sure that there's at least 
there's something about each draft where it's telling yeah. a story that's different than the story everyone else is telling. That's exactly where I was going to go with my next point in the sense that there is not, you know, out of the, out of the hundred or so drafts I've done so far, I don't think I have a single draft where it's like, it's a two, five, eight, three build with focus and emphasis on week 17. Like I don't have a single draft in that, in that multitude of drafts that I've done where it's like Mm -hmm. the same as the field. Right. Um, right. there, there's always one element or at least one element that I'm doing different than the field. You know, my example today was the, um, Deshaun Watson example, um, the three running back builds, so the four running back builds with an emphasis on it coming on a two quarterback and two tight end roster. Um, just like anything you can do to think about, you know, because at the end of this whole thing, we're playing a massive GPP, right? So like you have to, you have to go in with this idea that there is something I have to do to make my roster unique. And if you are simply like relying on, like I can pick the best players, I can avoid the injuries, the best I'm lucky. I have this rabbit foot like that. It's highly unlikely to not work. That is like playing. I, I, I relate it to playing the lottery because you're literally competing against so much of the field with that is doing the same things right now because the this theory in best ball has not transferred over as heavily as we use it in DFS and that's our whole point of being here on this this podcast and what we're doing so like whatever you can do to be unique there is so much value inherent to that right now in best ball where so much of the field is is kind of doing the same thing so i love it yeah I love, and I loved your talk about that, like with your three RB builds or, you know, um, being unique or even like going onesies with the uh, quarterback tight end. I know you'd talk that that's kind of extreme for some people probably, but just the con, just the concept behind it. You know, I think of it from a math standpoint. um, And in one of my courses last year, I talked about this, like trying to, uh, trying to limit the variables and increase the constants, you know, um, where like if you pick those right three running backs, so theoretically, let's say, you know, I look at your rank, so I know you, you're really high on Dalvin. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to have a lot of Dalvin and then, you know, that's one constant because where you have him ranked, you're going to end up with a ton of, them. Mm-hmm. um, and then if you have, I don't know, let's say Saquon and Javante is, mm-hmm. you know, if you can get that trio, which now that they've both Saquon's gotten steamed a little bit, so it might be tougher, but let's say you can get that trio on 10 teams. Like if you're right now, the, you're building the rest of the team the same way every time, but you're going to have different receivers and different quarterbacks and tight ends. Cause every draft is different, but you have that one, core where now you're right. And you have those 10 different lineups that you were so right on that. All you need is one of the combinations or two of the combinations of at the other positions to be right. And now you're like, you're cooking with gas. Like you're, (laughs) you know, that's the team that you're riding to, um, 
you know, to, to week 17 and we're all sweating with you. Yeah. It's the idea that, and we've talked about this at OWS as well, probably like two, three years ago. Um, it's the idea of like the, the, I think the way that jam put it was the shotgun versus rifle approach. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and like in an MME mindset or like a 20 max even, um, and we're talking DFS here what is better? Well, we don't know. Like, is it better to just like adjust your exposures and have a optimizer spit out and then enter those 150 with very other, you know, minimal other limitations on that? Well, we don't know. Like that's one way to play it. Well, another way to play it is to pick out your core, increase the exposure on those core, and then, um, you know, filter in the rest of the lineup from there. And that's this idea of like rifle, which is a very targeted approach versus shotgun where you're throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, and that's just over to your personal play style, right? Like there's, there's nothing really that says like one is better than the other, but how, how do you like to play? How do you envision? And I have always been this very targeted DFS player and I've taken primarily that same approach, uh, to best ball in the sense, and this is not, this is not saying like I'm going absurd with my exposure in like of players in the first three rounds, because obviously like there's so much that can happen to those players. And those, those are the guys that you need to be the core of your team in best ball. So mm-hmm. I'm not like, even though I have Dalvin cook ranked as RB two overall, I'm not taking him with like the third pick in drafts because obviously I know I can get him in the back half of the first round, you know, the, even the back third of the first round, Ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th picks. He's typically there. Um, so I get my exposure there. That doesn't mean like we're, we're going overboard, but what it means is like, if I build so that I assume Dalvin cook finishes the season as the overall RB two, like I can have more targeted exposure on those teams from there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like that. Uh, I like that a good deal. Um, sweet, man. I think we tied a knot on that bow. Um, let's talk quickly cause we are, uh, we are eating up this time, man. Um, <laughs> we're already almost 40 minutes in, but let's talk real quickly about roster construction errors. Um, and this is something that to a seasoned player seems very, um, I guess it, it, it comes, oh my God, what is the word I'm looking for? It seems very, uh, <laughs> like glaring i don't know I'm, I'm drawing a blank here yeah it's just so obvious that, yeah. that it like why are we even talking about it but yeah. yeah 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 so a lot of the roster construction errors that i see are to do with how players are handling the late rounds mm-hmm. dependent on what they've done in the first half of the draft so like this idea the same idea of like the decision making matrix this game tree this decision making tree if i am gobbling up running backs like i have three running backs in the first five rounds there is no way on god's green earth that i am taking a uh a tony pollard or a melvin gordon or you know these these running backs who are like the 35 to 40 percent running backs on their team um because that 10 point that we you know that eight to ten point weekly expectation that we talked about earlier means far less to this roster than it would to um, a zero RB roster where you're you're taking that eight to ten point floor and then taking late shots on upside after that. But like 
So that's this like this idea of roster construction errors. That doesn't mean like you have to stop at three running backs like sometimes I'm doing this season. Um, if you take three in the first five rounds, it just means that the the subsequent running backs that you place on that roster, they should be the like ultra mega upside guys late. Um, the Gus Edwards, the you know the guys on the that we've covered before on this podcast that are potential right. like league winners late. It's to to put it yeah to put it into how we talked about DFS theory before. It's it's almost the same as like the very basic DFS tenet of like you're not using your def- uh, team defense against your quarterback because you're just like if one you're just you're so limiting yourself um in that scenario like even if tony pollard has that when he has like a 16 point week like you might not even use it because you have yeah. these three stud running backs mm-hmm. um so I don't know if that analogy makes sense to you or not, but that's just like what came to my mind was like, again, it comes back to just understanding how your roster works together, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Um, Another example of that is the exact opposite. And we'll use just the extremes here. Say you start a draft with four wide receivers in the first five rounds. Well, now like, if you're targeting only these late, you know, mega upside running backs where it's either like a, a two output or like a 20 output, if the, if the back ahead of them gets hurt, like you're going to have a weekly because you're not going to have that eight to 10 point expectation filling that, you know, one of those two running back spots. Um, so just think about like how, and again, this goes back the, again, the the easiest way to relate this is that decision tree, how, Mm -hmm your previous picks affect your roster overall to maximize this idea of upside. Right. Sweet. Uh, again, that was a quick and down and dirty there. Uh, just something we wanted to get through real quick. The next thing we'll talk about is this idea of betting on undervalued teams. And this plays, um, almost hand in hand with the idea of recency bias. And we talk about recency bias all the time during the season in DFS, because we have, back to back to back to back weeks where we can start seeing the effects of previous performance. Well, what do we have in a season long game like best ball? We really only have the previous year where we see this recency bias creeping in teams where that is the case this year um, that are undervalued because of recency bias. Uh, The New York giants, the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, Chicago, Detroit, you know, these teams who vastly underperformed their expectation last year. We look at like all of those teams and there's more like, those are just the, the quick down and dirty ones that come to my mind immediately. The jets, mm-hmm. like the, you know, it, the list goes on and on, right. Of these, these offenses who are being undervalued this year because of past performance. And if you look at like all those different instances, probably the lions are the team with the least amount of moving parts. And then all of those other teams have like either like an entirely new front office, Chicago added um, a new GM who brought in eight new coaches who hired an analytics department. They have two new uh, just full-time analytics people. So there's a lot that changes yearly from season to season. But that said, like, 
well, again, we'll use Chicago as an example. Like, where is the top player from their team being drafted? Well, it's Darnell Mooney, and he's in like the fifth, sixth round. Then you have and Montgomery's right there too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it's like you don't have anything on that team until Justin Fields in the eleventh, twelfth round. And then it's like Comet Comet is right after that. So it's like this team has gone through such a drastic change this offseason. But all that people are remembering and figuring out and and you know, when it comes time to push the button, the draft button, all that they're thinking about is like how shitty this team was last year. Yeah. So if you fight through that, um, fight through that recency bias, and I am targeting these undervalued teams pretty heavily. And one of my yeah. like, one of my favorite ways, or um, I guess, to piece those two ideas together is like this triad of the Houston Texans, the New York Jets, um, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Why is that? Well, they're in week sixteen and seventeen. They're all playing each other. So okay. that's like. That's like three teams. Like week 17 is Houston versus um, Jacksonville. In week 16, it's like Jacksonville versus Seattle. And oh, no, wait, no. Jacksonville, I forget. It's like Houston. Houston, the Jets, and then Jacksonville, the Jets. Yeah, yeah. So, like something those, like that. Yeah. Those three teams are all playing each other in week 16, 17, the money rounds. We've, you know, belabored that idea here. But, and they're all, they all fall into this the same group of undervalued. And it's like, you look at Houston, it's like, it's Brandon cooks and then nobody else. You look at the, the jets and it's like their rookie back Brees hall and nobody else. Uh, so this idea of like betting on these undervalued teams where that have all these moving pieces, it it's leveraging against this recency bias. And it's also getting potential values. Um, and it's super easy to stack for this late week ups or late season upside. Uh, mm-hmm. what say you on this topic? Yeah. I mean, I'm in my article about my, that I did when we first started doing our best ball stuff was, you know, there was five teams that I had strong takes on just based on, you know, in my bubble, observing what had been going on, trying not to let too many, too much content or anything sway me. I try to figure out what I think on my own. And, you know, three of the things that I said were, the giants, uh, the the Jags, I think those two just stood out so much to me. And I'm, I've been really surprised that they had those two teams haven't gotten more steam. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, Trevor Lawrence was like literally like the best quarterback prospect that's come out in like a decade, at least. Yeah. Uh, You know, from a metric standpoint and urban Meyer was by pretty much any account, like, the worst possible NFL coach like we've ever seen. Like yeah. his, he did more damage in one year than, you know, even the worst coaches doing three or four. Um, yeah. And for, it's just, it's just wild to me um, how he's, how Lawrence and then by extension, the rest of the Jags are so cheap. Um, and then, the same token, you know, everybody's just absolutely, you know, nuts about the bills um, and how their offense is incredible. And you have this guy who built the whole thing. Yeah. You know, cause McDermott's <laughs> McDermott's like a, like, he's a great head coach. Like he's very, he's an inspiring guy. He's, you know, he's a good leader. 
but he's a defensive guy. Like everything they do on the offensive side of the ball was like Dable and the front, you know, front office putting guys around Josh Allen, but Dable bringing it all together. Mm-hmm. And now the Giants are still being treated like Joe, Joe Judge is, you know, going to be calling quarterback sneaks on third and seven. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, uh, which is a real thing that happened. Um, yeah, it's funny because so, it's true. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, if people think it's hyperbole, it's not, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so I, it's just, and it's crazy to me. What's crazy to me about it is the NFL, there's so many talking heads and there's so much media attention on it. And it's all this, it's, there's always talk about the parody and how, how much changes year to year. And how every year there's at least one team that was last in their division that takes first the next year and like all these stats that are brought up. But then when it comes to best ball, everybody just acts like we're just going to see the same, whatever happened last year happen again, or some very similar version of it. So that it's just, it's incredible to me to watch it all unfold because like, we know that's like something crazy is going to happen or something unexpected. And it usually those big changes year to year from teams in hindsight, weren't that hard to see. So it's just, it's really interesting. Yeah. You see it, you see it year over year in DFS, right? And we talk about it uh, every year at the beginning of the year is like the first four weeks, people are going to have some very different ideas of teams than what is actually going to come out in the field. Um, yeah, my two my two favorite that I've been targeting ad nauseum are the Giants, uh, and this is from an isolated example. I talked about kind of the triad um, earlier, but like mm-hmm. the Giants and the Bears are the two in my mind. Those are the two teams that have made the biggest strides forward from a front office down standpoint. Yeah, um, you look at like what Chicago has done; they just absolutely wiped house. Ryan Pace is gone. Ryan Poles came in, new GM. He threw together like up and down the coaching staff, just gone. You're gone. Wiped out. Um, obviously brought in talent. We talked about the, um, the analytics department, you know, heading that up now. Um, and then you look at the giants and they brought in probably the top head coach, um, that was on the market this off season to head up that. And we, we, (laughs) we've talked ad nauseum, how devil's basically, one of the top minds of designing an offense to get the most out of the talent that he has. So put another way, he is actively trying to optimize the players that he has on the field, use them in the most optimal way. Well, if that's the case, like you look at the talent that the the giants have, they got Saquon Barkley in the backfield. They have Kadarius, Tony, they have, they've used a first round pick uh, or I guess Wandale was a second round pick early second this year, but like, Kadarius Tony and then Wandale Moore, um, who are coming in, and those two wide receivers were like e- each in the top twelve in yards. Wandale Robinson. Wandale Robinson. Yeah, what did I say? Moore. Yeah, Moore. Wandale yeah. Robinson. Each of those guys was like in the top twelve of all the wide receivers to come out of the college game over the last five years in yards after catch per reception in the college game. So, like, right. you look at these guys who are capable of just like taking the ball in space and, and making magic happen. Now you have two of them on the field. You have Sterling Shepard, who is probably going to start the season slow, obviously, um, after coming off a major injury. Uh, and then Kenny Galladay is getting paid all this money on the perimeter. So like they have all the pieces to 
for Dabble to play with to like make this a dynamic right. offense. Well, um, and I know this is like it's a stretch, but in when I talked about the Giants in my article, I compared. I mean, Daniel Jones is so similar in so many ways to Josh Allen. He's not Josh Allen. I'm not saying that, but. Mm-hmm. He's a first-round pick that when he got picked, everybody in the analytics community, they, they trashed it and said he's going too high from a, you know, a little bit smaller, not traditional uh, power football school, um, struggles with accuracy, can do things with his legs. And, you know, I mean, everybody hated Josh Allen for a year and a half, draft Twitter and everyone, you know, and now he's, you know, the QB1 in Dynasty and, it, just like an incredible guy. No, I don't think Jones is going to ever be Josh Allen, but I don't think it's a stretch to think that Dable can work some magic. And if he's successful with that, everybody's going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody doesn't like my Daniel Jones take. Oh, dude, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to get away from a screaming child. Um, sorry about that. You good? Um, yeah, no. So I was following that as well. Yeah, it's like the the similarities are rather stark. Like pre blow up Josh Allen and where Daniel Jones is at currently. So that's that's very interesting, and I've uh, kind of drawn a couple of those as well. But yeah, um, let's see here. Let me gather my thoughts. Okay, so. We talked about um, the value in being unique. We talked about this betting, this idea of like leveraging recency bias and betting on these undervalued teams. We're going to work to talking about reading the room. And the, it's basically from the first round of, of a draft moving forward, you'll see, you'll see it from where the first quarterback is taken off the board. You know, did, I've seen some drafts where it's like Josh Allen is going in the second round because somebody took um, somebody took digs in the first and they're like going for the stack right away. So mm-hmm. if you're reading the room, you're paying attention to, you know, going how teams are kind of coming together. Like you can start making assumptions and base your strategy for the rest of the draft off those assumptions. Um, quick off the top of my head, like examples of that, what to thinking about when we're talking about reading the room. So like the, the team that I drafted uh, that I mentioned earlier, the one I was sending you screenshots of um, mm-hmm. where I went Jefferson and then tried to leverage that with Higgins because of the chase thing. And uh, the couple later picks I mentioned. So like in that specific draft, this is on DraftKings and which, you know, that, that's where I've done uh, more drafts, far more drafts than underdogs so far. Um, it's just, it's so soft. Uh, it seems like every draft, there's um, a couple of teams that are doing some crazy things. So like in that draft, like somebody took Jerry, Judy and Albert O at the four or five turn. Um, another person, another person took uh, Tom Brady in the sixth, Dak in the seventh and Trey Lance in the eighth. Um, and I believe they ended up taking like one of the like bottom quarterbacks, like Goff or Davis Mills, like later in the draft too. Um, and so basically like to me reading, 
one thing I try to do when I read the room is in that. So in that draft, there's two teams that, I mean, in my mind are more or less dead. So if we look at like the expected advance rate is what, like 8.3% or no, 16% if it's his top two advance. So it's like 16%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that math changes if two or three teams you can look at through eight or nine rounds and you're like, well, these, these teams are dead. Like they're not going to, um, to advance. So then now my mind, where my mind goes to is I have a much higher chance. I, I already think I have a better than baseline chance of advancing. And now you remove two or three of my opponents. I have an even greater chance of advancing. So now like in that draft, I took Deshaun Watson and Rob Gronkowski in the, I think 17th and 18th round or 17th and 19th, something like that. Yeah. And my thought being, even if Watson is suspended eight or 10 games and comes back, even if Gronk, if he waits and he comes back after 10 games, the, and sorry to bring up Gronk, I know this is a touchy subject. Um, (laughs) But so I'm looking at it as there's such, I have a, relatively very good chance to be advancing into the playoffs. And then I talked before about the DFS theory. So those players are going to have very low advance rates. So if I have them, if if this, these specific teams, I know I have a very good chance of advancing. I want those players. I actively am seeking those players uh, in that room where in other rooms where it seems like everybody's got their, their act together. Um, I might not take those risks on because I don't necessarily want to risk those roster spots for eight, 10, 12 weeks. Um, but in that roster, I was like, well, shit, like I have a really good chance to move on. And then I'm going to add Deshaun Watson and I'm going to add Gronk, who both of them could be like the head to have it DFS, like 1% owned play in week 16 or 17. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's a, uh... I mentioned on one of the previous pods, I was like, my Gronk exposure was at like 40 something percent and it, it, it grew up to almost 60% when he um, has now taken 18th round Gronk. Um, and I've been trying to do the same with Deshaun Watson. I was taking zero Deshaun Watson when he was being drafted, you know, as quarterback 13, 14 range um, in the 11th, 12th, 13th rounds of drafts uh, because I knew that the most likely way for his ADP to move was down. If you mm-hmm. think about other examples of, of leveraging, like yourself in position to leverage a player that could move one way or the other, you know, um, Adam Thielen comes to mind. Uh, Alvin Kamara comes to mind. These guys that we've talked about on previous episodes, but if you tie all that together, it's like, there is a very specific roster construction and very specific draft room where bets are higher EV than in a vacuum. So if you talk right. about the the guy, like I've seen draft rooms ranging from everything from a guy taking six quarterbacks to, you know, a guy four five, six tight ends. It's like, if you have that in your draft room, like your advance rate just shot up because one, like that is eliminating one team from the equation Two, that's going to have a trickle down effect for roster construction for other teams. So you can mm-hmm. get a little bit more wonky and a little bit more unique and, and everything kind of we're talking about in those drafts because 
all you have to do is make top two and your chances, you know, your mathematical chances of doing so are increased just by one of these random crazy dudes. Yeah. One of these dudes. Who one of my, like a, yeah. One of my drafts today just had uh, a guy took Andrews in the second end of the second. And then he took Kittle the end of the fourth and he took Goddard in the seventh. And I had, I had taken Pitts cause Pitts had actually fallen a little bit. So I, th- I think a lot of people in the room were kind of playing chicken or just waiting on tight ends. Yeah. But all of a sudden, like I got lucky that I, that I had one of the stud tight ends um, before things really got out of hand. But then you had all these guys like, I mean, there were tight ends who usually go in the, you know, 11th, 12th, 13th round that were going like right after Goddard went in the eighth. And so all of a sudden I had all these other players that were falling to me because I had a tight end and didn't need to reach on one. Um, and then you had a couple teams that they were like, well, I'm not going to chase it. Well, then they ended up with, I mean, they've got real, real um, poor tight end situations. So like you yeah. said, like the trickle down effect within the room of those things, um, it's just, it, you know, it's a, it's a nuance that you have to be paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, uh, those are, those are definitely the drafts where I'm looking to consciously seek the wide range of outcome guys, um, to, you mm-hmm. know, in an attempt to, to catch those lightning in a bottle roster builds where it's like you have that one half 1% owned guy in week 17, because nobody advanced with him past, you know, first out of their, out of their draft and then out of week 15 or 16. So yeah, I love that. Um, that thought process there. I think that is going to pretty much do it. Are there any onesie twosies that you had the leftovers? Oh, by the ways, before we get out of here today. Uh, no, I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, I'd love to yeah, do it man. again uh, sometime in the next few weeks before everything gets crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. I think we covered a lot of things. I think the the biggest thing that I've, repeatedly gone back to is just how I just approaching things from a, um, a DFS angle, uh, is the biggest thing. Um, and thinking about those ways, like my last point about the, um, the uniqueness, the low owned players, um, thinking about how that can happen. Um, and you've talked about the, uh, herd mentality with the week 17, uh, the week 17 stacks and stuff, but it's just, it's going to be really, really interesting if some of these week 17 stacks, um, if they bomb in week 15 or 16, those yeah. teams, um, now all of us, uh, you know, that week 17 is going to be really interesting. So maybe a, a pot, a topic for the next pot is how to leverage, uh, that possibility. Yeah. And like two years ago, like the glaring example of that happening was like, who, absolutely destroyed the season and then destroyed week 15 and then cratered in week 16. Mm-hmm. Like all the Travis Kelsey teams were just like kaput. Uh, so yeah, um, very, we are going to most definitely continue this discussion. Uh, we'll, you'll be hearing more of Mr. Mike Johnson on this podcast series. Um, Mike, it was a pleasure chatting and jamming with you today. Uh, again, these podcasts come out every Friday morning. Uh, you should be able to find them on all major content providers. And if you guys want to hear from somebody in the industry, 
shoot me a DM, shoot me uh, a message on Discord, and I'll work to get him on. We'll uh, we'll jam about some best ball stuff. Again, Mike, that was a pleasure, man. Uh, we will see more of Mike throughout the season, throughout this best ball off season. Uh, you can uh, throw out your Twitter handle for the listeners real quick. Uh, yeah, it's uh, at mjohnson underscore 86. Dig it, man. Again, Mike, it was a great pleasure, dude. We will be seeing more of you around. And that is going to do it for us for this week. We'll see you in the lobbies. Thank you.